You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We're writing our, um, our marriage and relationship series. It's called Love and War. And I think the title is so profound because marriages and even just any relationship, friendship relationships can be the closest thing to heaven or hell that you will ever experience in your life. And the sum total of our pastoral care hours are devoted to building and restoring and repairing relationships, whether they be relationships with a spouse or relationships with a friend or a work colleague, or just how to to live and relate to yourself or God. That is literally the sum total of the, the human malady. And that's why uh, God built the church because he wanted to have a place where we couldn't not just communing with him, but also with one another, because you'll find that you're sharpened in a community like this. So I love series where we talk about relationships. I get very excited. And I just want to bring some, some real simple but very profound, life-changing thoughts to you today in the 25 minutes we have together. So I'd love it if you turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture I am reading is going to come up on the screen. It says this, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Now, this is the romance relationship book, by the way, Song of Solomon says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil and ruin the vineyards of love while our vineyards are in blossom. Sounds very romantic. But right here, what's happening is Solomon is making a point to his Israeli crowd about how we need to nurture and look after our love or romance relationships. Today, I'm going to be talking about marriage, but actually you can take these points and really apply them in uh, in different ways to any relationship that you're in, whether it be a friendship. These principles work in everything. But right here, what Solomon is doing is he's highlighting You may have a beautiful love relationship going on and it's a beautiful vine and it's got all this great fruit hanging off it and you're enjoying it. But unless you take care of some business by getting rid of the pests and the predators, that beautiful vine, that blossoming vine that is giving you so much fruit and so much enjoyment will wither away and die if you don't deal with the little foxes. So foxes, they're they're not a problem in San Diego, but back in Israel, they used to have a major fox problem. Now, those little things are cute. I'm not sure if you've seen them on Instagram and YouTube, but I've actually toyed with getting one for a pet every now and then because they are cute. They are so cute. But in Jesus's day, in Solomon's day, they were a pest and they were actually very... um, very hard to detect because they were little, little foxes. They were wily. They were crafty. And not only that, they would work under cover of night and you wouldn't be able to tell immediately, um, it wouldn't immediately manifest that a fox had been attacking your vine because the fruit would stay on for a while. They wouldn't so much take and steal the fruit as they would gnaw away at the roots, causing the entire plant to die. And I would say this, 
In my 29 years of pastoring, I have found it's not usually the big cataclysmic issues or problems or dilemmas that make a marriage breakdown, but it's the little foxes that weren't caught and addressed. So I want to talk about some little things that will end up being very big things if you don't pay attention to them in your marriage. We're going to go on a fox hunt. You ready? The title of my message is Fox Hunting. So I'm going to just go through five or six different points. I've written a few down. The team have some of them. I added a few when I woke up in the morning. We've got 25 minutes together, but I want to make sure I make the most of our time. I want to talk about some little foxes that will ruin the vineyard of your love, which would be a terrible shame if you don't deal with them today. We've got to catch those little foxes. We're going on a fox hunt. Okay, point number one. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We are either building a balance of trust or distrust in our marriage. And every time you promise something, men, and you don't fulfill it, you are putting a deposit into that distrust account. Ladies, every time you say you're going to do something and not tonight, dear, tomorrow night, but tomorrow never comes, you build a balance of distrust in your relationship and no No relationship can flourish in an environment of distrust. So I found the Bible is so, so, so smart. The wisdom in this book is unlike anything that the world is teaching. The the Bible tells us that we are to keep our word. Don't make a vow unless you plan on fulfilling it. And one of the biggest issues that we find in a breakdown in marriage is literally there's been a breakdown of trust. He said he was going to change, but he didn't. I asked him if we could go to counselling. He said we could go and the counselling appointment never happened. And then sometimes we can label our spouse a nag, but they're not actually a nag. They're just a repeater. Are they nagging or are they repeating? Nagging and repeating are very, very different things. Let me break it down for you. For me to nag would be this. Hey, listen, I need you to mow that lawn. Now, if he'd made plans to mow the lawn the following day and he had all the stuff going on and he's made the plans and I keep bringing it up, you know, that lawn looks pretty untidy. Geez, I wish you'd mow that lawn today. Now, he very rightfully would come back at me and say, babe, I made plans to do it tomorrow. Chill out. I have made plans. They are happening. They are going to be executed. Would you stop bringing it up? But oftentimes in relationships, women can carry on and keep going and keep going, even though they've made plans. But you know what's so frustrating for a woman, and I dare say a man, I can only speak from a, from a woman's perspective, but I think for every sex, is when you've asked somebody to do something, they've said they're going to do it, but they make zero plans to make that happen. And then they have the audacity to say, you're nagging me. I'm not nagging. I'm just repeating. I'm repeating something because you gave me your word. And a man, the Bible says, is known by the words that he speaks. We are never more like God when we keep our word. The Bible says, this is, this is the prophet speaking, God is watching over his word to perform it. I wonder how things would change. And it seems like such a little thing. Yeah, I said I was going to do it, but yeah, I'll get around to it. And nothing erodes a marriage quicker than that kind of attitude. We've got to deal with those little foxes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if for whatever reason something changes, communicate. I know I said I was going to do that, 
but here's why it's changed and this is why I'm going to have to postpone it for a while. But oftentimes what we can do is we can promise something, not deliver, and then not say anything, hoping they'll forget. Now, for all the women in the room, men, you need to understand this, women never forget. They have memories like flipping elephants, okay? So if you say it, fulfill it. If you're not going to do it, make sure you communicate promptly. The second thing, (laughs) be affectionate. Be affectionate. Do you know that the highest ratio of visits to marriage counsellors are around that area, affection, a lack of affection, You know, when God created us in the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that God was creating and speaking. He spoke, let there be light, and light was. And he spoke, and the animals sprang forth. And he spoke, and the trees sprang forth. And he spoke, and the mountains start to come out in their peaks. But when it came to mankind, God stopped speaking and started forming, touching. Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the earth and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We were created for physical touch. Now through different traumas in life, we may find that that actually becomes a bit of a hardship and a bit of a trigger. If that's you today, I would say to you, don't let it stay that way. Get the counsel and the wisdom you need to be able to enjoy a marriage relationship to its fullest. But I love this scripture in the book of Romans, chapter number 12, verse 10. It says, be devoted to each other with mutual affection. Somebody say mutual. Mutual. Here's why that's important. Mutual means both of you not just the sanguine person. And you might say, well, I'm not a touchy-feely person. Listen, if you don't touchy-feely your spouse, you'll be tempted to touchy-feely people you shouldn't be (laughs) touchy-feeling. I have a very affectionate husband. Now I'm moderately affectionate, but I feel like Jürgen came out of the womb ready to hug (laughs) and kiss and scratch people's back and hold hands. And he, and I had to have a conversation with myself one day when I noticed him kind of looking longingly at other couples who were holding hands and hugging one another and kissing on each other. And he'd look with these kind of wistful eyes. And then he'd look back at me and he'd say something jokingly like, we used to be that close. And many a true word said in jest. And I realized, my gosh, I I have to up my ante here. Regardless of what my personal bent and preference is, how much I like to be touched, my husband needs affection. And they're really little things. And you think, oh, well, does it really matter? Yes, it does. So if you're in a marriage relationship, put your arm around your spouse, grab your spouse's hand. It's a little thing like, putting your hand on their leg. They're little things, but they make the world of difference. If you're here today and you're with your spouse, I want you to grab their hand right now. I want you to hold hands all throughout the service. And if you're here, you're a single person, believing to be married, hold your own hand and get used to having your hand held (laughs) by someone awesome, right? Your list out, your your vision card. Do you know they had to invent cuddle shops in Japan? That's sad to me. 
That is so sad to me that they had to get an organisation for affection because they were so wound up and bound up in their marriage relationships. It wasn't good to show affection. And you might find that when you start showing affection to your spouse again, your kids start to get fired up. Ew, gross, mom. Ew, eh. I found that like, ew, gross, eh. Don't kiss dad. Ew, gross. But you know what? A little like the righteous, holy part of them that they try to deny actually is like this is so good for them. They're actually being modeled by mum and dad healthy relationship, healthy touch. Do you know why perversion is rampant? Because people haven't seen the healthy model. So when you don't have a healthy model, your mind is left to go any which way It wants to, and all of a sudden we find a generation steeped in perversion. I wonder if it's a little fox. I wonder if it's mum and dad stop touching, stop kissing each other when they walked out the door, stop saying I love you, stop holding hands while they were sitting on the couch and watching movies. Heck, maybe they're not even in the same living room, the the size they're making homes these days. You can have your own separate flipping wings and quarters. But to actually be intentional about destroying that little fox who wants to kill the vine and the fruit of your marriage relationship and cutting him off at the roots, being an affectionate person. You're going to find at Awakened Church, we are very affectionate. And we encourage you to be affectionate with your spouse because what we don't want you to do is outworking that affection in a negative, perverted or wrong way, but rather outworking it rightly with the one that God has given you. Be affectionate. Are you writing this stuff down? Because God's going to speak to you long after I have stopped speaking. The third little fox we need to deal with is leaving the past in the past. Have you guys ever got re-annoyed? <laughs> like I know it happened ages ago, but it still makes me mad when I think about it. I had such, I've had many of those moments in my marriage. One of the most uh, memorable is when I was uncluttering the house and I went on this, a bit of a rampage, I'm getting rid of all the clutter. And I came upon a box and it was full of old photos. And I was meant to be sorting things out, but instead I spent three or four hours looking at old photos. Nothing got cleaned, nothing got sorted, but I had a great trip down memory lane. And I came across one particular photo and I looked at it and it was a photo of my young surfy boyfriend at the time, Jürgen, standing next to his car with his surfboard. And initially I was like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. Look at his white spiky hair, nothing's changed. (laughs) There he is with his surfboard. And I remember that car and we used to go on so many dates. And then my mind started to think, think further and I'm like, now I remember that car. That was the car where he put his surfboard in the front seat and made me sit in the back. And I remember going on a whole lot of surfing trips, sitting in the back of the car like a loser with his surfboard getting prime position on a reclined front seat. And I looked at that. Now, this was a photo that at the time was maybe 23 years old. But I got to tell you, The same frustration and anger and resentment that I felt 23 years ago when it actually happened started to boil up in me again. And I started to get re-annoyed and re-mad and re-angry all over again. 
and then Jürgen comes home from work. Unbeknownst to me, I'd be, to him, I'd been winding myself up. Should have been decluttering, but instead I was cluttering my mind with stories from the past. And he walked through the door and the first thing I did was, you, you were a chauvinist. And I showed him the photo. Do you remember this car? And how you made me sit in the back seat. And then that started reminding me of a whole other bunch of other things that I was mad at him for. And all this stuff started. The poor guy, the poor guy came home to like machine gun fire. <laughs> and I ruined a perfectly good day with a memory from a bad yesterday. Now, was it appropriate them to make me sit in the back seat? Look, no. But he was like 21. He had no flipping clue. But we're now talking about a man who was in his 40s who had treated me like a princess, but I was stinking up my today with a bad memory from yesterday. And we think it's just little, but it happens all the time. If you talk to a Christian counsellor or psychologist or marriage counsellor, they will say one of the biggest spoilers of relationships is when one party brings up the bad news or the bad memories from the past and drags it into their future. Now, it's different if you're talking about a present behaviour, then it absolutely needs to be addressed. But if that behaviour is gone, if it's done, if it's over, if it's been dealt with, bury it. Stop opening the doorway to 1995 and looking in there and pulling stuff out and dragging it and shake it in the face of your spouse and then expect your, your marriage relationship to be anything that you want to be part of and to flourish. It's a little fox. We've got to go on a fox hunt. We've got to leave the past in the past. Philippians 3.13 says this, and this is a scripture worth writing down. Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. So he's kind of like giving us a little bit of grace here. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So many of us can be so caught up in the bad memories of who our spouse was yesterday, we fail to really realise and understand who they are today. And we wouldn't know that they've changed because we've made them a prisoner to their past. And no person or relationship can ever flourish if they're continually having their past sins waved in their face. I hate to quote Elsa from Frozen, <laughs> but it is just so profoundly appropriate at this time. Let it go. I won't sing it because it's been done, but you've got to let it go. You know, the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so God has taken our sins from us, that he has cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Can I really discourage you from getting a fishing rod and casting your line into God's sea of forgetfulness to pull up a catch, to wave a stinky fish in the face of your spouse? Look what I caught. Get your fishing rod out of God's sea of forgetfulness. Leave the past in the past. Amen. Amen. Point number four, the next little fox. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says this, Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behaviour, yet do not sin. 
So are you reading this right here? It's okay to be angry. And in your marriage relationship, your spouse, God bless them, will do things at times that make you angry. But the Bible cautions us here, do not let your anger lead you to sin. Do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. When we hold onto anger longer than is right, and right here the Bible gives us a time frame for how long we're allowed to stay angry. So the Bible here is telling us when you see that sun setting, that is a physical sign of a spiritual truth. It's time to forgive. Doesn't mean we don't deal with the issue. Doesn't mean we don't address the behaviour. Doesn't mean we don't go to counselling if we need to go to counselling, but it's time to forgive. I forgive you. And you might say today, well, I, I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel forgiveness in my heart. You've got to understand that forgiveness is not an emotion or a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a choice. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. You make a decision. I will not go to bed angry. I'm going to release this to the Lord. I'm going to trust this to Him. I'm going to deal with what needs to be dealt with. I'm going to put the hard work in. But what I won't do is take this thing to bed and let it simmer in me when I go to sleep. There are many times in, in I've been married for almost 29 years where, uh, and usually there's two different kinds of people in a relationship. There's a runner and there's a chaser. And my husband would traditionally be the runner. I would be the chaser. He'd be like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm sleeping in another room and I'll chase him down. Like Terminator, you know, who comes after the truck with that, that metal claw, ding, just when he thinks he's free, ding, ah, here I am. And then just a hand, here I come. I will not let a sleeping dog lie. But it has helped us so much in our marriage because he'd be happy to go to bed and stew and keep things undone. But over time, I've taught him, nah, there's no getting away from it. I refuse to not sleep in the same bed as you. And I'm not here to judge or uncover anyone today, but if you're sleeping in different rooms to your spouse, that's so sad. You waited a really long time to be able to sleep in bed next to somebody that you love. Don't let the little fox spoil it. Don't let the little fox rob from you. You're meant to be together. The two of you are meant to be together. And if that's the truth, there is nothing that you can't work through. When you allow that spirit of forgiveness, I will not let the sun go down on my anger. And I remember many times when my husband would storm off for whatever reason in our early days of marriage, initially I'd be mad and I want to go into the room and restart the fight and remind him again of why I was angry and why he should feel ashamed and why he needed to repent. But then I thought, my gosh, what is this going to accomplish? I don't want to sleep in bed by myself. I got married to be with my husband. And I'd walk in and I'd just say, babe, I don't want to fight with you. I love you. I love you more than anyone else. Can we, can we go to bed together in love and wake up and fix what needs to be fixed in the morning? And always and every time his answer was yes. The Bible is so smart. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You'll find 
that if you don't deal with a grudge, if you hold a grudge, that eventually in your marriage relationship, that grudge will hold you. And it may have started off as a little fox, but here's the thing about any living thing, it will grow if we don't take it out. And many of us, we've had little issues. We've swept little things under the carpet. We've held little bitternesses. We've had little resentments. And before long, that mess under the carpet is a tripping hazard. Pastor Jürgen and I went through a season about 14 years ago where we had some marriage counselling. We were going through a crisis with one of our children and we found that instead of fighting for one another, we were fighting against each other. And oftentimes that can happen during a crisis mode. And so we knew that we needed to bring a third party in to help really diffuse some of those situations. And so as we sat there, it was amazing in a one hour therapy session, how much undealt with resentment we had accumulated over 15 years. And we couldn't believe what the other person was saying, things we'd held deep within. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, that's like a 10 year old offense. But because it wasn't dealt with, it wasn't forgiven, it wasn't It wasn't brought to the cross. These things culminated over time till it got to a point in our relationship where it felt like we just about despised each other. And it didn't need to be that way. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Every night, do a stock take with the Lord. Oh God, like the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, search me, know me. Test my every anxious thought and see that there is no wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Where do I need to forgive? The Bible says we are to forgive and release it to God. Doesn't mean we don't deal with it. Doesn't mean we don't talk it through with a trusted counsellor or a friend if it's something that just will not be resolved. But we're not allowed to keep unforgiveness in our heart. We're not allowed to let the sun go down on our anger because the Bible goes on to say, if we do that, we will give the devil a foothold. God brought you together. He wants your relationship to flourish, but you and I have to do that work of not letting the sun go down on our anger, amen. Point number five, patiently put up with each other. I would say, especially in a 2020 season, a crisis season, a change of life season, we need extra grace for one another. If you expect your spouse to be perfect all the time, it is not gonna happen and you're gonna find yourself very resentful very quickly. Ephesians chapter four, verse two says this, always, somebody say always. Always be humble and gentle and patiently put up with each other and love each other. I remember a woman who lost her husband to cancer about 10 years ago, a friend who lives in Seattle was telling a story. She said when she was married, she used to get so frustrated with her husband. He was so messy. He'd leave his dirty clothes everywhere. He'd literally put a pile of clothes next to the laundry hamper. I don't know what kind of disorder that is, but many men and some women have it. Where the laundry hamper is right there and the clothes are either put on top of it or next to it, but never in it. 
And she said her husband, he would come home, he would take his shoes off, he'd kind of fling them, and then he'd take his socks off and he'd fling them. And she said, you don't know how many hours I spent nagging him, obsessing at him, arguing with him, being angry at him, resenting at him, resenting him because he was messy. She said, I spent so much of our marriage relationship complaining about his messiness. But then she looked at a group of us women at this conference. She said, you know what though? I would give everything I have right now to just see one of his dirty socks again. And I wonder, sometimes in the big scheme of things, the thing that's bothering you, the thing that irks you, that little habit they have, eating apples in bed, leaving wet towels on the floor, driving too fast with an awakened church sticker on the back of your car. <coughs> Pastor you again. <laughs> Tweeting things that should not be tweeted. Offending everybody. All these little things. And then sometimes you just have to think, if they were not here, would that bother me? If like this woman I was talking about, there was some kind of crisis and they were no longer there, would that be really a deal breaker? Is it a deal breaker? And yet so many marriages are broken, weakened, and even destroyed sometimes over these little things because we haven't learned to patiently put up with each other. You know, when it comes to the stuff that isn't cataclysmic and deal breaker stuff, I think we've got to understand there are, there are some things that may never change. Your spouse, the person you married, is always going to be them. And they're going to have their little quirks and, and their little ways and do things that maybe aren't your preference or don't suit your particular tastes. But can we learn to patiently put up with each other? Can we learn to put in the hard work of actually being gracious? I tried for so long to make my husband like me, only to realise that the reason I married him was because he wasn't like me. And actually I loved him because he brought something different to the table. And it's amazing we can just find that opposites attract before marriage, but then when we get together, all of a sudden those things that I didn't like, that, 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 sorry, those things that I liked and admired now become a frustration. And I try to make him just like me. Well, be like me, dress how I think you should dress. And there was a time when I was like right in the midst of that control, not patiently putting up with who my husband was and loving him, but instead trying to get him to conform into the image of the thing that I thought he should be. Where I thought, I felt the Lord say to me, Leanne, stop it. I like him. He's not the one with the problem. You're the one with the problem. You're the one who's trying to make him someone that he's not. So today I would say to you, in your marriage relationship, put down the comparison chart and actually learn to appreciate your spouse for who they are. You know, Proverbs 31 talks about the Proverbs 31 woman and also the Proverbs 31 man. One of the smartest things that the Proverbs 31 husband did was this. He used comparison in a way to honour and esteem his wife. He said, my darling, many daughters have done well. There are some great ladies, women out there, but oh my gosh, you excel them all. So he wasn't oblivious to the fact that there were some great women out there, some great role models, some great heroes, 
But when he looked at his wife, he didn't compare her to other people in a negative way. He said, compared to everyone else, honey, you are the best. And I believe that that's what every husband, every wife wants. They want to be uniquely appreciated. That doesn't mean that we tolerate things that should not be tolerated. Please hear me. But the very normal eccentricities, the very normal unique qualities of your spouse should be treasured and appreciated. Patiently put up with each other. I found that when I adopted this posture in my marriage, everything shifted. And he'd come out on a Sunday morning dressed for church, wearing every pattern and colour known to man with a pair of shoes that did not match. And the old Leanne would want to give him the uniform of what a man of God should look like. And then I'd feel the Holy Spirit go up, 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 up. You be you, you let him be him. Patiently put up with one another. Oh my gosh, we got enough carbon copy, same old, same old people in the world. Thank God for uniqueness. Thank God for people that don't conform in, in the ways that matter. Thank God for the unique spirit that God has put on the inside of your spouse. God put them together. He's their masterpiece. You get your fingerprints off God's masterpiece. Point number seven, these are the ones I added today. Deal with the little sins, the little porn, the little flirtation, the little compromise. We might think, oh, it's just little. And I know I'm touching on some pretty deep topics in a 25 minute message, I get that. And obviously I'm not gonna be able to explore or plumb the depths of these issues. But I wanna create a conversation starter for you to have with the Lord and maybe for you to have with your spouse. A little flirtation, a little compromise. You know what I've realized? No one wants a little cancer, yet people will tolerate a little sin and a little compromise in their lives and their marriage relationships. Sin is the cancer of the spirit. Cancer will destroy your life, but sin Little foxes, little sins, little compromises can destroy your soul and your relationships. Cancer is temporal, but the other is eternal. What are those little things in your marriage that you've maybe turned a blind eye to that need to be discussed and brought to light? See, in a lot of churches you'll go to, they're happy for you to walk in and pretend. Just look right, dress right, say the right things, amen at the right time, carry a big Bible, get a Bible in a year and post about your devotions on Instagram every day. We're not that kind of church because we know that God doesn't just want you to look right, He wants you to be right. He wants you to be in right standing with Him. That's why what matters is the inner you, the different things. And all of us come in with some dysfunctions and some bents and some behaviours and some habits that through God's power, the power of the cross, you can take authority over and you can beat in Jesus' Name. So don't keep them hidden. The little things, the little things in your marriage, the little sins, the little secrets, the little compromises, the little flirtations, the relationship on, on Facebook that you're jumping into that you know you shouldn't, but it fulfills a little part of the broken parts of your soul that you won't address and deal with rightly. It's time to deal with the little sins. And we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And finally, pray for one another. Pray for one another. 
If you want to destroy the little foxes in your life that are destroying the vine of your marriage relationship, then you've got to pray for one another. When was the last time you prayed for your spouse? Here's what the Bible says. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, first thing, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. Do you know that your spouse is a part of all people? And often we can pray for ourselves. We can pray for our kids. We can pray for our friends. We can be interceding and standing in the gap. We can be praying for our nation and praying for our government and praying for things to shift and for breakthrough to come. But are you praying for the person who is closest to you? Because their welfare will determine your welfare. The Bible says that the two become one flesh. So when you pray for them, it's like you're praying for yourself. And oftentimes in marriage, we can complain about the very things God is saying, would you bring that to me? So instead of cursing that husband, cursing that wife, saying, I wish they'd change in this area. I wish they'd get a breakthrough. I wish they'd lean into the Spirit of the Lord and say, Father, how do I pray for my husband? How do I pray for my wife? I've been through many seasons of frustration in my marriage and the Lord has always led me to prayer. And I have to ask him, how do I pray for my husband in this situation? And I got a prayer board and on it I had my kids, but I had a big photo of my husband with a scripture underneath. Father, I pray that he grows in wisdom and stature and favour with both God and man. And I'd pray that every single day. Find a scripture, find a word, pray for your husband, pray for your wife, pray for God's blessing on them. Pray for His hand upon their life. Pray for them to prosper. Pray for them to hear the voice of God. Pray for them to become the man or woman that God has created and destined them to be. Pray for them when they're struggling. Pray for them when they're bound with insecurities. It's easy to point out fault. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to point your finger, but it takes a man or woman of God and great courage and fortitude to turn that complaint into a prayer and vent in the right direction. I'd love it if you'd stand to your feet. Now, I was never gonna solve all the world's problems in one message and I wanna encourage you today, let these points just be conversation starters for you to have first with the Lord about where He wants you to change and maybe address some issues in your own life. But then also have a conversation with your spouse. And if you're a single person today, well, you are the luckiest person in the world because you're getting to learn before the test. You're getting to cram before it matters. But I want you to close your eyes. And again, if you're with your spouse today, I want you to hold on to their hand. And I just want you to take a second to pray for them. Close your eyes. Maybe your spouse isn't with you. That's okay. Just pray for them as if they were here. Maybe you're not married and you want to be. I want you to pray for your future spouse today. And I hope you're already doing that. Because just like God brought Eve to Adam, God has someone for you. Pray for them in advance and you'll find that one day you'll walk into a harvest of your prayers. So just take a minute now to just pray. If you're single or here without your spouse, close your eyes and pray. I want to hear some prayers happening. And if you're with your spouse, I want you to turn to them. I want you to give them a hug. Don't just stand next to them. Give them a hug. 
Put your arms around them. That's it. And just pray. Just start to pray. Pray for God to bless them. Pray for the love of God to touch them right now wherever they are. I know there can be such great hardship in marriages. And I want you to know that the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that two are better than one, but that scripture ends with a threefold cord will not be easily broken. Jesus is the third part of your marriage relationship. He is the unbreakable thread and if you cling to him, you'll find that your marriage relationship will be unbreakable. You're going to go through times of distress and hardship and where you feel alone, but you're never alone. You've actually never spent an alone moment in your entire life. Jesus is with you. Acknowledge Him in your marriage. Honour Him in your marriage. Pray for your spouse. Pray with them. Attend church together. I just heard a statistic on the weekend that the divorce rate for couples that pray together and attend church together is 0.02%. That's pretty amazing when you think that half of all marriages are ending in divorce. And yet, for those who make Jesus the center, that threefold cord, the, the, the rates drop exponentially. 0.02%. Father, I thank you right now. For those of you who are standing with you, spouse, you keep holding on to them. Everybody else, just lift your hands nice and high. I just want to pray a blessing on you right now. I don't know every story. I don't know every situation, but I know God does. And He's here and He's with you and He cares. He cares. More than Him just being present, He cares. He knows all the things you've been through. He knows the rejections of your heart. He knows the failures, the missteps, the things you did that you wish you could take back and you can't take it back. And maybe you're single today because your marriage ended and there's heartbreak there. I just want you to know today that God can restore. God can restore and rebuild. And you can look to the future with a smile. Thank you, Father, for your hand upon this congregation. I thank you for this series, Love and War. And we pray that in our marriage relationships that there would be more love, greater love, deeper love and less war in Jesus' name. Father, we thank You for Your wisdom poured out upon us like water today and over the coming weeks as we address every relational issue and dysfunction. Father, I thank You for Your children. Bless them, I pray. Bless every marriage today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.